0: Good morning. Welcome to With God at Dawn. We continue on with Stephen Haskell's Bible Handbook and we are building in our studies. Today we begin our actual study of the Word of God. Let's pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would bless our studies today, open our hearts, our understanding, to receive your Word and your instructions and help us to be prepared to meet you in peace. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. The Second Advent of Christ. The doctrine of the Second Advent as the very keynote of the sacred scriptures. From the day the first pair turned their sorrowing steps from Eden, the children of faith have waited the coming of the promised one to break the destroyer's power and bring them again to the lost paradise. You can read about that in The Great Controversy, page 299. The glorious appearing of Christ is prophesied. Turn in your Bible with me to John 14, verses 1 to 3. This is Jesus speaking, and the Bible says, Let not your heart be troubled. You Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. There's a promise to come again. That's Jesus' own words. In my little book, Early Writings, I'm going to turn to page 286. 286. It's going to describe a little bit of what's future yet for us. It's a prophecy. Then commenced the Jubilee, when the land should rest. I saw the pious slave rise in victory and triumph, and shake off the chains that bound him, while his wicked master was in confusion and knew not what to do, for the wicked could not understand the words of the voice of God soon appeared the great white cloud upon which sat the Son of Man. When it first appeared in the distance, this cloud looked very small. The angel said that it was the sign of the Son of Man. As it drew nearer the earth, we could behold the excellent glory and majesty of Jesus as he rode forth to conquer. A retinue of holy angels with bright glittering crowns upon their heads escorted him on his way. No language can describe the glory of the scene. The living cloud of majesty and unsurpassed glory came still nearer, and we could clearly behold the lovely person of Jesus. He did not wear a crown of thorns, but a crown of glory rested upon his holy brow. Upon his vesture and thigh was a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His countenance was as bright as the noonday sun, His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet had the appearance of fine brass. His voice sounded like many musical instruments. The earth trembled before him. The heavens departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Yes, his coming is promised. I'm going to open up to the book of Acts, in my Bible, book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And this, at the beginning of Acts, is it starts out, when Jesus went back to heaven, he ascended. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. We're going to establish the glorious appearing of Christ. Every step of the way, we want to establish very clearly the beliefs and the pillars of our faith. He will come in person as he went. And now I'm going to open up my volume two. Testimonies, Volume Two, page one ninety four and one ninety five. I need a. I need a magnifying glass. Hold on. Silly me! I looked everywhere, and it was right where it was supposed to be in the drawer. Okay, page one ninety four. The Bible should be read every day. A life of religion, of devotion to God, is the best shield for the young who are exposed to temptation in their associations while acquiring an education. The Word of God will give the correct standard of right and wrong and of moral principle. Hold on one second. I have to verify my page. It is as I thought. (sighs) After Ellen White passed away, clever people, editors more specifically, have done a work at switching things around and putting things in different formats and whatever they do. I had to track down the proper thing, so I was reading the the wrong thing, here, but here it is. God designs that his people shall fix their eyes heavenward, looking for the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. While the attention of worldlings is turned to various enterprises, ours should be to the heavens. Our faith should reach farther and farther into the glorious mysteries of the heavenly treasure, drawing the precious divine rays of light from the heavenly sanctuary to shine in our hearts as they shine upon the face of Jesus. The scoffers mock the waiting, watching ones and inquire, Where is the promise of his coming? You have been disappointed. Engage now with us, and you will prosper in worldly things, get gain, get money, and be honored of the world. The waiting ones look upward and answer, We are watching, and by turning from earthly pleasure and worldly fame, and from the deceitfulness of riches, they show themselves to be in that position. By watching, they become strong, they overcome sloth and selfishness and love of ease. Afflictions, fires kindle upon them. The waiting time seems long. They sometimes grieve and faith falters, but they rally again and overcome their fears and doubts. And while their eyes are directed heavenward, say to their adversaries, I am watching, I am waiting, the return of my Lord. I will glory in tribulation, in affliction, in necessities. All right, if you turn with me, well, I don't know if you have it. I'm opening up in my book, Desire of Ages, to page 831 and 832. While the disciples were still gazing upward, voices addressed them, which sounded like richest music. They turned and saw two angels in the form of men who spoke to them, saying, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you. Into heaven shall so come in like manner, as you have seen him go into heaven. These angels were of the company that had been waiting in a shining cloud to escort Jesus to his heavenly home. The most exalted of the angel throng. They were the two who had come to the tomb at Christ's resurrection, and they had been with him throughout his life on earth. With eager desire all heaven had waited for the end of his tarrying in a world marred by the curse of sin. The time had now come for the heavenly universe to receive their king. Did not the two angels long to join the throng that welcomed Jesus? But in sympathy and love for those whom he had left, they waited to give them comfort. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? That verse is Hebrews 1.14. Christ had ascended to heaven in the form of humanity, the disciples had beheld the cloud of angels is what it is a cloud receive him. The same Jesus who had walked and talked and prayed with them, who had broken bread with them, who had been with them in their boats on the lake, who had and who had shut who had that very day toiled with him up the ascent of Olivet, the same Jesus had now gone to share his father's throne. And the angels had assured them that the very one whom they had seen go up into heaven would come again, even as he had ascended. He will come with clouds, and every eye shall see him. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise. The Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory." That's Revelation 1.7, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, Matthew 25.31. Thus will be fulfilled the Lord's own promise to his disciples. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also, John 14.3. Well might the disciples rejoice in the hope of their Lord's return. So, we're going to go through some Bible verses, and beginning with Revelation 1 7, we're going to cover some of the things about Christ's return, some of the points. Okay. Revelation 1 7. Sorry, my fingers getting old. Okay, 1-7. Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also, which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him even so. Amen. He will come in the clouds, will be visible to all. All right, now we're going to go to Matthew twenty-four thirty. It's not a secret. He'll be visible to all when he comes. Matthew 4:24 Matthew 24 verse 30 This is Jesus talking And then shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory He will come with power and great glory Now, I'm going to go back to my volume two, to page 41, volume two, page 41. Aren't you glad that you're not having to dig all these out of your books? You can just listen while I do it. (laughs) That's all right, I don't mind. Okay. Testimonies, volume two, page 41. Those who choose to make excuses and continue in sin and conformity to to the world will be left to their idols. There will be a day when they will not beg to be excused, when not one will wish to be excused, when Christ shall come in His glory and the glory of His Father, with all the heavenly angels surrounding Him, escorting Him on His way, with voices of triumph, while strains of the most enchanting music fall upon the ear. All will then be interested there will not be one indifferent spectator. Speculations will not then engross the soul. The miser's piles of gold which have feasted his eyes are no more attractive. The palaces which the proud men of earth have erected, and which have been their idols, are turned from with loathing and disgust. No one pleads his lands, his oxen, his wife that he has just married, as a reason why he should be excused from sharing the glory that bursts upon his astonished vision all want to share but now but know that it is not for them in earnest agonizing prayer they call for god to pass them not by the kings the mighty men the lofty the proud the mean man alike bow together under a pressure of woe desolation desolation misery inexpressible heart anguish prayers are wrung from their lips mercy mercy save us from the wrath of an offended god a voice answers them with terrible distinctness sternness and majesty because i have called and you refused i have stretched out my hand and no man regarded but you have not at you have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof i also will laugh at your calamity i will mock when your fear comes that's a frightening thought turning your bible to luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, verse 26, for whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory And in his father's and of the holy angels. Threefold glory his own, his father's, and the angels. I'm going to open up my book, Desire of Ages, to page 739. Looking upon the smitten Lamb of God, the Jews had cried, His blood be on us and on our children. That awful cry ascended to the throne of God. That sentence pronounced upon themselves was written in heaven. That prayer was heard. The blood of the Son of God was upon their children and their children's children as a perpetual curse. Terribly was it realized in the destruction of Jerusalem. Terribly. Has it been manifested in the condition of the Jewish nation for eighteen hundred years? A branch severed from the vine, a dead fruitless branch, to be gathered up and burned from land to land throughout the world, from century to century, dead, dead in trespasses and sins. Terribly will that prayer be fulfilled in the great judgment day, when Christ shall come to the earth again, not as a prisoner surrounded by a rabble will men see him, they will see him then as heaven's king. Christ will come in his own glory, in the glory of his Father, and the glory of the holy angels. Ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands of angels, the beautiful and triumphant sons of God, possessing, surpassing loveliness and glory, will escort him on his way. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. Then every eye shall see him. And they also that pierced him, in the place of a crown of thorns, he will wear a kingly robe. Oh, a crown of glory, a crown within a crown. In place of that old purple kingly robe, he will be clothed in raiment of whitest white, so as no fuller on earth can white them. Mark 9.3. And on his vesture and on his thigh a name shall be written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation 19.16. Those who mocked and smote him will be there. Their priests and rulers will behold again the scene in the judgment hall. Every circumstance will appear before them as if written in letters of fire. Then those who prayed his blood be on us and on our children will receive the answer to their prayer. Oh, how little we realize the reality of all of this. Uh, Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17, or if you're just listening, go ahead and just listen. Maybe you could just write down these references to look at later. Matthew 17, verse 2, and was transformed, transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Christ's glory, face is the sun, raiment is light. This was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Acts of the Apostles, page 33. The promise of Christ's second coming was ever to be kept fresh in the minds of his disciples. The same Jesus whom they had seen ascending into heaven would come again to take to himself those who, here below, give themselves to his service. The same voice that had said to them, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end, would bid them welcome to his presence in the heavenly kingdom. All righty. And now in your Bible again, Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. Oh my, Ezekiel had some interesting visions. Uh, Verse 28, Ezekiel 1 28. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of one that spake, "Wow, sounds like Ezekiel saw the Father's glory like the rainbow. All right, now we're going to exodus twenty four sixteen And the glory of the Lord abode upon the Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And 17. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. God's glory is like devouring fire to the wicked. Now that's interesting. To the righteous, it's like a rainbow. Huh, wow. Let's go with me to Matthew 28. Well, maybe it's just different at different occasions, not different to different people. I will leave that to your own thinking. Matthew 28, verses 2 and 3. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. This is the glory of an angel, of one angel. And verse 4 says, And for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men. They passed out because of the glory of one angel. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. That's the effect of that glory was uh, what we read before and now. It says that all the angels come with Christ. Revelation 6, 15 to 17 tells us that the wicked will hide. That's Revelation 6. Wait a minute. Revelation first of all, we want to talk about Revelation five eleven. Revelation five eleven just that. We're going to compare the effect of one with a whole company of angels. Revelation five eleven. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the numbers of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands. Revelation 6:15 through 17 will tell us what that glory will do to people with all the angels and God and Jesus. And I heard a voice in the midst of the beast saying Wait a minute. Revelation 6:15 to 17. Okay. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man they hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They will seek to hide from that amount of glory and they realize their lost condition. Go with me to Second Thessalonians. Thessalonians chapter 1. I have to try to go kind of slow because there's so many verses written here. I get lost. Of my page, 2 Thessalonians 1, uh, verses 8 and 9. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And I would just like to point out here that it's the destruction that's everlasting, not the fire. Anyway, we're not going to go there right now. Um, and now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Here is yet another reference to the spirit of his mouth, which is the breath of God, as God is spirit. And uh, remember when Jesus said, "Receive ye the Spirit," when He breathed on them. We're not going to study that either right now. Just had to point it out. Okay, so Second Thessalonians. Okay, that's the effect upon the wicked of the glory of the Lord. They uh, with the brightness of His coming, the wicked are going to die at the brightness of His coming. They will seek to hide, but they'll end up dying at the brightness of his coming. Now go with you to Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah. Hmm. It's kind of tricky to do all of this page turning when I've got a little teeny tiny kitten on my lap. Wanting to teeth on my leg. Hmm. Uh, Jeremiah 25, 30 through 33. Therefore prophesy thou against them all these words, and say unto them, The Lord shall roar from on high, and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He shall mightily roar upon his habitation. He shall give a shout, as they that tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. A noise shall come even to the ends of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with the nations, he will plead with all flesh. He will give them that are wicked to the sword, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, evil shall go forth from nation to nation, and a great whirlwind shall be raised up from the coasts of the earth. And the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth even unto the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented, neither gathered nor buried. They shall be dung upon the ground." Mm, The wicked will be slain. Now go with me to Luke 17. 26 to 30. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded, But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now here is the verse that you compare with the other reference that talks about one being in the field and one being taken and one left, that the one taken was taken in destruction. You can compare them on your own time. Um, okay, Luke 17:20. So compare with the time of Noah and Lot, the coming of the Lord is that his coming Those who will be taken will be taken in death at his coming and they'll be strewn about on the earth and not to be gathered or buried. I'm going to turn in my book, Patriarchs and Prophets, to page 90 through 95. You know, I realize this is a very long study. Every now and then one is very long, but this is the foundation of the whole gospel and the whole Bible, the coming of Christ. We want to be clear about all these details. I'll I'll recap them when I'm finished, and we are getting close to the end already, actually, so bear with me here. You may find this quite interesting. In the days of Noah, a double curse was resting upon the earth, in consequence of Adam's transgression and of the murder committed by Cain. Yet this had not greatly changed the face of nature. There were evident tokens of decay, but the earth was still rich and beautiful in the gifts of God's providence. The hills were crowned with majestic trees supporting the fruit laden branches of the vine. The vast garden like plains were clothed with verdure and sweet with the fragrance of a thousand flowers. The fruits of the earth were in great variety and almost without limit. The trees far surpassed in size, beauty, and perfect proportion any now to be found. Their wood was of fine grain and hard substance, closely resembling stone, and hardly less enduring gold, silver, and precious stones existed in abundance. The human race yet retained much of its early vigor, but a few generations had passed since Adam had access to the tree, which was to prolong life, and man's existence was still measured by centuries. Had that long-lived people with their rare powers to plan and execute, they devoted themselves to the service of God, they would have made their Creator's name a praise in the earth, and would have answered the purpose for which he gave them life, but they failed to do this. There were many giants, men of great stature and strength, renowned for wisdom, skillful in devising the most cunning and wonderful works, but their guilt in giving loose rein to iniquity was in proportion to their skill and mental ability. God bestowed upon these antediluvians many and rich gifts, but they used his bounties to glorify themselves, and turned them into a curse by fixing their affections upon the gifts instead of the giver. They employed the gold and silver, the precious stones, and the choice wood in the construction of habitations for themselves, and endeavored to excel one another in beautifying their dwellings with the most skillful workmanship. They sought only to gratify the desires of their own proud hearts, and reveled in scenes of pleasure and wickedness, not desiring to retain God in their knowledge. They soon came deny his existence I had to stop for a second and take the kitty to his little bed so I might reread something they sought only to gratify the desires of their own proud hearts and reveled in series of scenes of pleasure and wickedness not desiring to retain God in their knowledge they soon came to deny his existence they adored nature in place of the God of nature they glorified human genius worshipped the works of their own hands, and taught their children to bow down to graven images. In the green fields and under the shadow of the goodly trees, they set up the altars of their idols. Extensive groves that retained their foliage throughout the year were dedicated to the worship of false gods. With these groves were connected beautiful gardens, their long, winding avenues overhung with fruit-bearing trees of all description, adorned with statuary and furnished with all that could delight the senses or minister to the voluptuous desires of the people and thus allure them to participate in the idolatrous worship. Men put God out of their knowledge and they worshiped the creatures of their own imagination. And as the result, they became more and more debased. The psalmist describes the effect produced upon the worshiper by the adoration of idols. He says, they that make them are like unto them, so is every one that trusteth in them. It is a law of the human mind that by beholding we become changed. Man will rise no higher than his conception of truth, purity, and holiness, if the mind is never exalted above the level of humanity. If it is not uplifted by faith to contemplate infinite wisdom and love, the man will be constantly sinking lower and lower, The worshippers of false gods clothed their deities with human attributes and passions, and thus their standard of character was degraded to the likeness of sinful humanity. They were defiled in consequence. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The earth was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. God had given man his commandments as a rule of life but his law was transgressed. Every conceivable sin was the result. I don't even want to think about that. The wickedness of men was open and daring. Justice was trampled in the dust. The cries of the oppressed reached unto heaven. Polygamy had been early introduced, contrary to the divine arrangement at the beginning. The Lord gave to Adam one wife, showing his order in that respect. After the fall, men chose to follow their own sinful desires As a result, crime and wretchedness rapidly increased. Neither the marriage relation nor the rights of property were respected. Whoever coveted the wives or the possessions of his neighbor took them by force. Men exalted in their deeds of violence. They delighted in destroying the lives of animals, and the use of flesh for food rendered them still more cruel and bloodthirsty until they came to regard human life with astonishing indifference. The world was in its infancy, yet iniquity had become so deep and widespread that God could no longer bear with it, and he said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. He declared that his spirit should not always strive with the guilty race, if they did not cease to pollute with their sins of the the world and its rich treasures. He would blot them from from his creation and would destroy the things with which he had delighted to bless them. He would sweep away the beasts of the field and the vegetation which furnished such an abundant supply of food and would transform the fair earth into one vast scene of desolation and ruin. That's what we live in today. Amid the prevailing corruption, Methuselah, Noah, and many others labored to keep alive the knowledge of the true God and to stay the tide of moral evil A 120 years before the flood. The Lord, by a holy angel, declared to Noah his purpose and directed him to build an ark. While building the ark, he was to preach that God would bring a flood of water upon the earth to destroy the wicked. Those who would believe the message and would prepare for that event by repentance and reformation should find pardon and be saved. Enoch had repeated to his children what God had shown him in regard to the flood, and Methuselah and his sons who lived to hear the preaching of Noah assisted in building the ark god gave noah the exact dimensions of the ark and explicit directions in regard to its construction in every particular human wisdom could not have devised a structure of so great strength and durability god was the designer and noah the master builder it was constructed like the hull of a ship that it might float upon the water but in some respects it more nearly resembled a house it was three stories high, and with but one door, which was in the side. The light was admitted at the top, and the different apartments were so arranged that all were lighted. The material employed in the construction of the ark was the cypress or the gopher wood, which would be untouched by decay for hundreds of years. The building of this immediate immense structure was a slow, laborious process. On account of the great size of the trees and the nature of the wood, much more labor was required then than now to prepare timber, even with the greater strength which men then possessed. All that man could do was done to render the work perfect, yet the ark could not of itself have withstood the storm which was to come upon the earth. God alone could preserve his servant upon the tempestuous waters. Wow. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen, as yet moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. All right. And page 156 to 161. At, uh, okay. The destruction of Sodom or well, we're reading these for a reason and they'll kind of come together i believe fairest among the cities of the jordan valley was sodom set in a plain i have a little boy who came back in here come up on my lap honey okay okay fairest among the cities of the jordan valley was sodom set in a plain which was as the garden of the lord in its fertility and beauty Here the luxuriant vegetation of the the tropics flourished. Here was the home of the palm tree, the olive, and the vine. Flowers shed their fragrance throughout the year. Rich harvests clothed the fields, and flocks and herds covered the encircling hills. Arts and commerce contributed to enrich the proud city of the plain. The treasures of the east adorned her palaces, and the caravans of the desert brought their stores of precious things to supply her marts of trade. With little thought or labor, every want of life could be supplied, and the whole year seemed one round of festivity. The profusion reigning everywhere gave birth to luxury and pride. Idleness and riches make the heart hard that has never been oppressed by want or burdened by sorrow. The love of pleasure was fostered by wealth and leisure, and the people gave themselves up to sensual indulgence. Behold, says the prophet, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom pride fullness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy and they were haughty and committed abomination before me therefore i took them away as i saw good there's yet another reference of killing somebody uh, as being taken away so the secret rapture theory uh, can be understood there is no secret rapture and the ones who are taken away are dying they die Anyway, I'm not going there. There's nothing more desired among men than riches and leisure, and yet, these give birth to the sins that brought destruction upon the cities of the plain. Their useless, idle life made them a prey to Satan's temptations, and they defaced the image of God, and became satanic rather than divine. Idleness is the greatest curse that can fall upon men, for vice and crime follow in its train. It enfeebles the mind, perverts the understanding debases the soul. Satan lies in ambush ready to destroy those who are unguarded, whose leisure gives him opportunity to insinuate himself under some attractive disguise. He is never more successful than when he comes to men in their idle hours. In Sodom there was mirth and revelry, feasting and drunkenness. The vilest and most brutal passions were unrestrained. The people openly defied God and his law, delighted in deeds of violence, and though they had before them the example of the antediluvian world and knew how the wrath of God had been manifested in their destruction, yet they followed the same course of wickedness. At the time of Lot's removal to Sodom, corruption had not become ununiversal, and God in his mercy permitted rays of light to shine amid the moral darkness. When Abraham rescued the captives from the Elamites, the attention of the people was called to the true faith. Abraham was not a stranger to the people of Sodom, and his worship of the unseen God had been a matter of ridicule among them. But his victory over greatly superior forces and his magnanimous disposition of the prisoners and spoil excited wonder and admiration. While his skill and valor were extolled, none could avoid the conviction that a divine power had made him conqueror, and his noble and unselfish spirit, so foreign to the self-seeking inhabitants of Sodom, was another evidence of the superiority of the religion which he had honoured by his courage and fidelity. Melchizedek, in bestowing the benedictions upon Abraham, had acknowledged Jehovah as the source of his strength and the author of the victory. Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. God was speaking to that people by his providence, but the last ray of light was rejected, as all before had been. And now the last night of Sodom was approaching. Already the clouds of vengeance cast their shadow over the devoted city. But men perceived it not. While angels drew near on their mission of destruction, men were dreaming of prosperity and pleasure. The last day was like every other that had come and gone. Evening fell upon a scene of loveliness and security, a landscape of unrivaled beauty, bathed in the rays of the declining sun. The coolness of eventide had called forth the inhabitants of the city, and the pleasure-seeking throngs were passing to and fro, intent upon the enjoyment of the hour. In the twilight two strangers drew near to the city gate. They were apparently travellers, coming in to tarry for the night. None could discern in those humble wayfarers the mighty heralds of divine judgment, Little dreamed the gay, careless multitude that in their treatment of these heavenly messengers that very night they would reach the climax of the guilt which doomed their proud city. There was one man who manifested kindly attention toward the strangers, invited them to his house. Lot did not know their true character, but politeness and hospitality were habitual with him. They were a part of his religion, lessons he had learned from the example of Abraham. Had he not cultivated a spirit of courtesy? he might have been left to perish with the rest of Sodom. Many a household, in closing its doors against a stranger, has shut out God's messenger, who would have brought blessing and hope and peace. Every act of life, however small, has its bearing for good or evil, faithfulness or neglect, and what are apparently the smallest duties, may open the door for life's richest blessings or its greatest calamities. As little things that test the character... It's the unpretending acts of daily self-denial performed with a cheerful, willing heart that God smiles upon. We're not to live for self, but for others. And it's only by self-forgetfulness, by cherishing a loving, helpful spirit that we can make our life a blessing. The little attentions, the small, simple courtesies go far to make up the sum of life's happiness and the neglect of these constitutes no small share of human wretchedness seeing the abuse to which strangers were exposed in sodom lot made it one of his duties to guard them at their entrance by offering them entertainment at his own house he was sitting at the gate as the travellers approached and upon seeing them he rose from his place to meet them bowing courteously said behold now my lords turn in i pray you into your servant's house and tarry all night they seemed to decline his hospitality saying nay but we will abide in the street their object in this answer was twofold ouch Test the sincerity of Lot and also to appear ignorant of the character of the Minnesotam, as if they supposed it safe to remain in the street at night. Their answer made Lot the more determined not to leave them to the mercy of the rabble. He pressed his invitation until they yielded and accompanied him to his house. He had hoped to conceal his intentions from the idlers at the gate by bringing the strangers to his home by a circuitous route, but their hesitation and delay and his persistent urging caused them to be observed, and before they had retired for the night, a lawless crowd gathered around the house. It was an immense company, youth and aged men alike, inflamed by the vilest passions. The strangers had been making inquiry in regard to the character of the city, and Lot had warned them not to venture out of his door that night, when the hooting and the jeers of the mob were heard, demanding that the men be brought out to them. Knowing that if provoked violence they could easily break into his house, "'Lot went out to try the effect of persuasion upon them. "'I pray you, brethren,' he said, "'do not so wickedly.' "'Using the term brethren in the sense of neighbors "'and hoping to conciliate them "'and make them ashamed of their vile purposes, "'but his words were like oil on the flames. "'Their rage became like the roaring of a tempest. "'They mocked Lot as making himself a judge over them, "'threatened to deal worse with him "'than they had purpose toward his guests. "'They rushed upon him and would have torn him in pieces.' Had he not been rescued by the angels of God, the heavenly messengers put forth their hand. They pulled Lot in the house and shut the door. The events that followed revealed the character of the guests he had entertained. They smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Had they not been visited with double blindness, being given up to hardness of heart, The stroke of God upon them would have caused them to fear and to desist from their evil work. That last night was marked by no greater sins than many others before it, but mercy so long slighted had at last ceased its pleading. The inhabitants of Sodom passed the limits of divine forbearance, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. The fires of his vengeance were about to be kindled in the vale of Sidim. The angels revealed to Lot the object of their mission, We will destroy this place. "'because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, "'and the Lord has sent us to destroy it.' "'The strangers whom Lot had endeavored to protect "'now promised to protect him and to save also all the members of his family "'who would flee with him from the wicked city. "'The mob had wearied themselves out and departed, "'and Lot went out to warn his children. "'He repeated the words of the angels, "'Up, get you out of this place. "'The Lord will destroy this city.' but he seemed to them as one that mocked. They laughed at what they called his superstitious fears. His daughters were influenced by their husbands. They were well enough off where they were. They could see no evidence of danger. Everything was just as it had been. They had great possessions. They could not believe it possible that beautiful Sodom would be destroyed. Lot returned sorrowfully to his home and told the story of his failure. And the angels bade him arise, take his wife and the two daughters who were yet in his house and leave the city. But Lot delayed. Though daily distressed at beholding the deeds of violence, he had no true conception of the debasing and abominable iniquity that were practiced in that vile city. He did not realize the terrible necessity for God's judgment to put a check on sin. Some of his children clung to Sodom, and his wife refused to depart without them. The thought of leaving those whom he held dearest on earth seemed more than he could bear It was hard to forsake his luxurious home, all the wealth acquired by the labors of his whole life, to go forth a destitute wanderer, stupefied with sorrow. He lingered, loath to depart, but for the angels of God they would all have perished in the ruin of Sodom. The heavenly messengers took him and his wife and daughters by the hand and led them out of the city. Here the angels left them and turned back to Sodom to accomplish their work of destruction. Another, he with whom Abraham had pleaded, drew near to Lot. In all the cities of the plain, even ten righteous persons had not been found. But in answer to the patriarch's prayer, the one man who feared God was snatched from destruction. The command was given with startling vehemence: ESCAPE FOR THY LIFE, LOOK NOT BEHIND THEE, NEITHER STAY THOU IN ALL THE PLAIN, ESCAPE TO THE MOUNTAIN, LEST THOU BE CONSUMED. HESITANCY OR DELAY NOW WOULD BE FATAL to cast one lingering look upon the devoted city, to tarry for one moment from regret to leave so beautiful a home, would have cost their life. The storm of divine judgment was only waiting that these poor fugitives might make escape. Lot, confused and terrified, pleaded he could not do as he was required, lest some evil should overtake him, and he should die living in that wicked city in the midst of unbelief. His faith had grown dim. The Prince of Heaven was by his side, Yet he pleaded for his own life as though God, who had manifested such care and love for him, would not still preserve him. He should have trusted him wholly, himself wholly to the divine messenger, giving his will and his life into the Lord's hand, without a doubt or a question. But like so many others, he endeavored to plan for himself. Behold now, the city is near to flee into, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. The city here mentioned was Bela, afterward called Zoar. It was but a few miles from Sodom, and like it was corrupt and doomed to destruction. But Lot asked that it might be spared, urging that this was but a small request, and his desire was granted. The Lord assured him, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. How great mercy God had toward his erring creatures. Again, the solemn command was given in haste hasten for that very storm would be delayed but little longer one of the fugitives ventured to cast a look backward to the doomed city she became a monument of god's judgment actually i think there's a stone called uh, lot's wife <laughs> over there that looks like a person looking back if you can see it i think online if lot himself had manifested no hesitancy to obey the angel's warning and but if he had earnestly fled to the mountains without one word of pleading or remonstrance, his wife also would have made her escape. The influence of his example would have saved her from the sin that lightly, the sin that sealed her doom, but his hesitancy and delay caused her to lightly regard the divine mourning. While her body was upon the plain, her heart clung to Sodom, and she perished with it. She rebelled against God because his judgments involved her possessions and her children in the ruin. Although so greatly favored in being called out from the wicked city, she felt that she was severely dealt with because the wealth that it had taken years to accumulate must be left to destruction. Instead of thankfully accepting deliverance, she presumptuously looked back to desire the life of those who had rejected the divine warning. We're almost done. Bear with me. Pages sticking together. Oh, maybe that was the end. Yep, it was. Okay, now we're going to one, two, three, four, five, six. We have just happened seven little Bible verses to look up. Let's um, look at Matthew twenty-eight five. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, ye, for I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified. No fear for those who seek Jesus. Fear not. He said, "Those who seek Jesus have no fear, and though no matter what is ahead of us, we don't know, but we are not to fear. we have been told not to fear." Let's open up our great controversy. To page 641. I'm going to see. Oh, I have a paper clip there. Must be something interesting on that page. 641. Um. Before his presence, all faces are turned into paleness. Upon the rejectors of God's mercy falls a terror of eternal despair. The heart melts and the knees smite together and the faces of them all gather blackness. The righteous cry with trembling, who shall be able to stand? The angel's song is hushed and there's a period of awful silence. And the voice of Jesus is heard saying, my grace is sufficient for you. The faces of the righteous are lighted up and joy fills every heart. The angels strike a note higher and sing again as they draw still nearer the earth. So once again, the righteous have nothing to fear. Jesus says my grace is sufficient for you turn with me to first Thessalonians 4 chapter 6 first Thessalonians chapter 4 I think I'm getting a little tired um, I can imagine you are as well we're getting close though first put on your put on your <laughs> I don't hang in there with me first Thessalonians chapter 4 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The righteous are caught up. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 53. 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this, in this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Corruptible means those who die, the death, and incorruptible is life, and mortal and immortality. We're going to put on immortality. The Lord's going to put it on us. We're made immortal. I'm going to open up my book, Desire of Ages, for a moment, for a couple Paragraphs. H 320. We don't want to miss any of this knowledge that has been given to us The instructions. Okay. Satan cannot hold the dead in his grasp when the Son of God bids them live. He cannot hold in spiritual death one soul who in faith receives Christ's word of power. God is saying to all who are dead in sin, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. That's Ephesians 5.14. That word is eternal life. As the word of God which made the first man live still gives us life. As Christ's word, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise, gave life to the youth of Nain. So that word, Arise from the dead, is life to the soul that receives it. God hath delivered us from the power of darkness hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. It is all offered us in his word. If we receive the word, we have the deliverance. And if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then the Lord will bring us, the dead as well as the living, with him back to heaven. Often people misread that verse. They think he's going to bring someone from heaven down to get those who are left here. But no, he's going to come get the dead and the living and bring us all back to heaven. If you look into it, you can find that. Alrighty, so we're going to go to... Philippians chapter 3, we're getting very close. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. We will have bodies like Christ, that's telling us. He will change our body and light to his glorious body. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. We're going to be made like that. We'll have faces like the sun. Matthew chapter 13, verse 43. Then shall the righteous shine forth